Can people see the difference Jesus makes in a human life when they look at you? There is a distinct difference between, as you will see in a moment, who you were apart from Christ and who you are now in Christ. There should be a difference. We should be able to see it. You should be able to say to your old friends, hey, follow me. I know what it means to follow Christ. I'm different. I'm changed. This is amazing grace. It's great to be with you and welcome to another Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. As we've just entered into a new year, many Americans have an increased interest in their health. Gym memberships have skyrocketed and some have kickstarted a new diet plan. But today we would like to encourage you to consider your spiritual health and how you can live in a way as to please God in this new year and beyond. Before we head over to 1 Peter chapter 4, Pastor Ed Taylor takes us to Philippians. Would you take your Bibles, open them to two places. We're going to start in Philippians chapter 3, and then we're going to end up in 1 Peter chapter 4 in a Bible study that I've entitled, Living Our Lives to Please God. Living Our Lives to Please God. Now we know by now that examples are very important. They help us practically to see the gospel of Jesus lived out in real lives. We have examples in the scriptures. We have examples in our family. We have examples in our church family. We have examples in perhaps the history of our family, our friendships. Examples to copy, to follow, and also examples to avoid. But examples are God's gift to us. What does a transformed life really look like? Not that we're going to be exactly like anyone else, but there are characteristics that reflect a true changed life. And depending on what your background is, God will give you specifically people that you'll be able to look to in times of discouragement, whether they're in the scriptures, you know, go through the hall of faith and see, you know, maybe, maybe your issue is anger and you're just an angry woman, you're an angry man. And then you have in the scriptures a man like by, by the name of Moses who had an anger issue. And, and his, that was one of the things that plagued him all the way to the end of his life. And he would lose control and he would throw up his arms and he would misrepresent God and he would strike the rock more than once. He would disobey all because of his anger. And yet you see the gracious, loving care of God patiently walking along with Moses. And, and you know that because God was patient with him, God will be patient with you. And you know that the episodes of his life were not always anger. Moses was a phenomenal leader. And for much of his life, he obeyed God. But it was that warning from Moses, that warning in his life, that a momentary you know, indulgence of your flesh and anger could cost you what you were looking for your whole life. Not able to enter into the promised land. 
Now, God was very even more gracious, even in the end with Moses not entering in all those years, 40 years in the wilderness, 40 years of murmuring and complaining, 40 years in ups and downs. Even afterwards, although he didn't experience with that generation, we know that he did end up getting in. He did end up being up on the Mount of Transfiguration. And God was gracious to him. There are examples to follow, examples to avoid, examples to encourage us. I'm reminded here in Philippians when Paul, he lays his life out before the people, before you and me. And he says, brethren, this is Philippians 3, 17. Brethren, join in following, mark those words, my example. Before we even get into the text today, I want you to make that a goal in your life. Where you could look at someone, you could look at your spouse, you could look at your kids, you could look at your friend, you could look at your teacher, someone that is in your life, and you'll be able to, one day very soon, if not today, you'll be able to say with authority, brother, sister, I want you to join me and follow my example. My life. Follow me. Follow my example. Notice what he says. And note those who so walk, as you have us a pattern. For many walk, of whom I've told you often, and I'll tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. Paul says, mimic me and watch me and follow me. Walk alongside of me every step and watch how I live my life. And as you watch how I live my life, you're going to notice that others choose an opposite lifestyle. They choose, in this case, to walk in such a way that they become an enemy of the cross of Christ. They're just those that you're not to follow, those that you're to mark and note. Paul, in the entirety of Philippians, previously had just said, hey, we're not looking backwards anymore, we're looking forwards. We're forgetting those things that are behind. And we're going to follow that upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And along the way, you want men and women that surround you who love Jesus. They love Jesus supremely and provide you an example to follow. Why? Because you will meet far many more that will say that they're following God, but they're actually just enemies of the cross. And, and the scary word that he uses here, I mean, the, the word that, that truly captures me is when he says, for many. This isn't an isolated few. Many walk. I'd warned you before, and I'm telling you now weeping, that these are enemies of the cross. There are many that will join themselves to a Christian church, buy a Bible and get the right wardrobe, if you will, some kind of shirt that has Jesus on it, or have a bumper sticker. But they're not truly following God. They're not surrendered. In this case with Paul, he's talking about a group of false teachers that were causing the church great harm. They would come in and undermine all the teachings of grace that Paul would have. And Paul says, don't mimic them. Don't follow them. Don't imitate them. They're heading in the wrong direction, the opposite direction of Jesus. And with that in mind, I want you to notice now Peter talking about in 1 Peter chapter 4, with the truth of an example to follow, an example not to follow. 
I want you to see some of the outgrowth of your new relationship with Jesus. Some of you experienced this chapter, this first part of the chapter, specifically. And the Holy Spirit reserved this just for you. Notice verse 1, therefore, chapter 4, therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that no longer should he live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. Let me just say at the outset, if you are actively practicing sin with no repentance today, no response to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, it is time to take inventory of your life. Because a true follower of God does not live in unconfessed, practicing sin. They, they don't live a life where they are in the company of believers, acting like a Christian, and in their hearts and minds, uh, even when they move, leave the building, you start living like the devil all week. That is not reflective of someone that has armed their minds with the suffering of Jesus Christ and the results of all that Jesus has done for us. Because remember, the audience of Peter is an audience not unlike ours, that are going on, that are experiencing and are under severe persecution. Uh, very heavy things, very difficult things. They, they are being blamed for the destruction of Rome. They're being killed. They're, they're ha- losing all of their possessions. They're, they're facing great hardship. And with all of this talk of suffering, Peter reminds us that true suffering is found in Jesus. True tr- suffering is found in his example. He died for us innocently. He took upon himself your sin and mine. And by our faith, when he died, we died with him. And the battle that he fought was not for his own sin because he was sinless. It was for our sin. It was to give us the type of freedom where no longer does sin have a hold on us. Where we walk in victory. Oh, we don't become, there's a phrase today, there's, not, there's no such thing in your human body as sinless perfectionism. You're just setting yourself up for failure and self-condemnation. You think, well, you know, Christians, they'd sin no more. No, it's not sinning no more without ever experiencing a sinful thought or a temptation again. No, what he's saying is that you will walk in a life where there will be less and less of the control and the manifestation of sin in your life. There is a distinct difference between, as you will see in a moment, who you were apart from Christ and who you are now in Christ. There should be a difference. We should be able to see it. You should be able to say to your old friends, hey, follow me. I know what it means to follow Christ. I'm different. I'm changed. In Romans chapter 6, verse 1, it says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? This speaks to everyone that makes excuses for their sinful habits. And that's a bad habit in and of itself. It's a sinful habit to make excuses for your sinful habits. It's like, well, you know, I was just raised that way. Yeah, but you've been set free. Well, you know, I'm just an angry person. Yeah, and we don't like it. You've been set free. Well, you know, I just have a problem with stealing. No, you actually don't have a problem with stealing. You have a problem with your relationship of surrender and repentance with God. And there's no excuse. 
No, we shouldn't sin more. We should sin less. Why? Because the power of God in us, and, and it's not their fault, and it's not her fault, and it's not, it's not someone else's fault. It's my choice to sin. It's that indwelling of my flesh that I indulge, that I feed. Even as I shared a gentle reminder today, your unwillingness to pray. Let's say it's an unwillingness to pray because I don't know someone. That's an excuse for your sin. Well, I don't like those requests because they're too close to home. I, don't, I just don't want to pray them. That's an excuse for your sinful response to not pray. And God doesn't want us living a life of excuses. He doesn't want us living at a low level where we just make excuses for all our bad behavior. And then how can you tell, how can I tell anybody, hey, follow me as I follow Christ when I'm just living excuse after excuse after excuse in my life. Since you died to sin, you don't have to live for your fleshly desires anymore. <laughs> I mean, to me, that's just big, that's just glorious. You don't have to live under bondage anymore. You don't have to live in addictions anymore. You don't. You've been set free. You've died to sin. You've been raised alive with Christ. You're dead to them. And now we get to live for the will of God. The will of God is to live for Jesus. So, so that, you know, those of us that are living in sobriety and God has done a great work, and it's not because of our great work. It's because of Christ's great work. It's his grace in our lives. It's his ability to take us and rescue us from the miry pit, to, to take us and plant our feet on a solid rock, to put a new song in our heart. Praise be to God. So that day by day, moment by moment, he says back in chapter 4, arm yourself. You're in a spiritual battle, church. Arm yourself with the same mind. Grab that mind of the suffering of Christ. There is so much talk today of not wanting to suffer. Not deserving to suffer. Not, not wanting, not deserving and actually fighting against the suffering of Christ. Where God truly wants to not put you on a cross. That's never going to happen again. Not for salvation. But he wants the cross to deal with those parts of your life that are prideful. And arrogant. And resisting. And drowning out the work of the Spirit in your life. And the response when God is bringing about something uncomfortable or discomforting is not to fight for your rights. It's to submit to your God. It's to trust him with your life. That's how this all started, church. Your relationship with God started the same way mine did. The repentance of my sin and the surrender of my life. And it just so happened in a time of my life where I was brought to the end of myself. And little did I know, and maybe you didn't know this either about yourself, but you went from that moment of coming to the end of yourself, of slowly day by day regaining it and re coming back to a new way of life, but also 
regaining that sense of control and my life and now it's better and I, and eventually you may have turned a corner you recognize it or not like well I think I can do my own thing now I, I think I can handle this I, I don't need to do I, you know you get so excited about reading the Bible I don't need to read the Bible anymore I don't need to listen to those hard words of the pastor anymore I don't need to love my wife anymore on and on the list goes and it's subtle little by little by little by little So when a man or a woman starts and begins to live their life like that, even harboring sin and doing things in secret, it can get really, really bad. But let's just talk in a general sense. You know, when that begins to happen in your life, God will not allow you to progress that way. You're in a real relationship with him. He will not allow that to progress. You will have to disobey him at every turn. And he will bring strong conviction. You'll hard your heart in your heart. And he will bring messages in your life and you will close your ears. He will bring about change and and correction. And he'll even bring about deep humility through difficult circumstances. Why? He wants you back to a place at the end of yourself. That's where it all started. And that's where it needs to stay. This may shock you, but God's desire is not for you to be a strong Christian. God's desire for you, if you were to put Christianity on a scale, you know, and like zero is when you're just starting out. I'm sure if we did a survey, how many of you, I even use this in, and when I'm talking to people, I say, hey, on a scale one to 10, how's your life? How's your walk with the Lord? And people always give me a number and we talk about it. And, and rarely, I don't think anybody's ever answered, hey, how's your walk with the Lord? No, I can't think of anyone that's ever answered zero. My walk with the Lord is zero. What? And you would have to ask, what do you mean? Well, why isn't it at least a one? Why isn't it a 10? Well, it's a zero because my walk with the Lord is zero me and all of God. That's where we need to be. But we strive to be 10. We want to be a 10. We never want to be a negative 10. But God doesn't want you at negative 10. And he doesn't want you at 10. He desires us at zero. That's where it started. It started at zero. You could even say it started at ground zero where God brought about a brokenness in your life, a weakness, revealing to you and to me that we were unable to accomplish anything in our own strength. And so many of us came, I look at the stage here as an altar, so many of us came to the altar with so much baggage that it took a long time to sort it all out. As God would put his finger on that one and go, okay, and then that one, and okay, and then that one. I remember God putting his finger on things I didn't even know were a problem in my life. That's how far deep I was in sin. We need to arm ourselves with the mind of Christ. Christ went to the cross. Jesus went to the cross. He was at his greatest. He was at his greatest when he was at his least. When he was in full surrender. And turn over, hold your place in First Peter. Turn over to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Now, for some of you who say, well, Ed, man, I've been, my walk with the Lord's been a 10 lately. I just discouraged you. Because God doesn't want you at a 10. He wants you at a zero. He wants you at a place of full dependence. It's not part you and part God. It's a response. When even this, com- this command from from, from the Holy Spirit through Peter to us, arm yourselves, is a response to the work of, it's our cooperation. It's like, yes, yes, Lord, I want my mind to be like yours. Notice in Galatians 5, verse 16, Paul says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, 
and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things which you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. And so the question becomes, who will you present yourself to? The spirit of the flesh. Who will you live for? What will you live for? Because when we walk in the spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. One of the greatest examples of that, to me, is when we gather together. For at least 90 minutes, you're not in the flesh. For the most part. Now, I know some of you got mind games going on in your head right now. But for the most part, you're not in the flesh. You might have yelled at your spouse in the parking lot. You might have got mad at the dog. You might have been. But when you come in here, something transforms. Why? Because you're walking in the spirit. At least you're wanting to walk in the Spirit. And God meets you right there. And He encourages you. Yes, it is possible to, for, for 90 minutes of your life to live in such a way where you're encouraged, you're edified, you're built up, you're strengthened, which is why we as pastors beg you to take this outside, to take this into your everyday life, to be in the Word every day, not because you have to, but because you get to. God, you get to hear God speak to you in the morning and set the day straight. You have a, a proverb, perhaps, that God's just going to drop into your heart that you're going to need at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. You're not going to need your flesh at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. You're going to need that word from God that's going to get you through it. Why we would have you listen to praise music on a regular basis. Listen to it. Put it on your iTunes. Matt, fill your head with it because it puts you in the atmosphere of walking in the Spirit. It is really, really hard to cuss someone out when you've got Ian in your ear singing to you. It's just almost impossible. You have Pastor Ian singing in here about the glory of God and the goodness of God. And you got somebody, you know, dealing with you. And you got some situation you got to go to. And you're all prepping up. And then you take that song. And I don't know if you noticed this, but we do purposely end with a song. Because often, for me at least, that song will be with me all week. I'll just be singing it all the time. I remember one week not too long ago, Marie just said, stop singing that song. I don't know if it was my voice or she's just tired of listening to it, but it, it was with me all week. I was just, I was humming it. I was singing it. I kept singing the same. It was, it was the, um, the song that Pastor Ian introduced, but I've been listening to it for a while, is Make Room. Man, it's such a great truth in that song. Lord, I'll make room for you. I know that you've given me the ability to make choices. I know you've given me the ability to fill my life whatever I want to fill my life with, even as a believer. But Lord, I'm going to make room for you. I'm going to think that through today. I'm going to give place to you. I'm going to give preference to you. I'm going to defer all of my feelings and emotions. And I'm going to make, and I was just singing that all week, all week, all week, until finally, you know, I don't know why Marie was in the flesh, but she told me not to sing it anymore. <laughs> stop singing that song. Sometimes we'll sing the last song or sing a song that's in our heart, and we'll sing it all wrong too. We got the words all wrong and, and uh, maybe the melody, but we're singing as under the Lord. We're making a joyful noise under the Lord. It's really hard to be in the flesh. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying it's really hard to be in the flesh when you're in the atmosphere of grace and mercy. This is Abounding Grace, and Pastor Ed Taylor is leading a study of 1 Peter right now. You can hear these radio programs on our website anytime at AboundingGraceRadio.com. 
Another way to go and grow in the Word is by downloading our app. Search for Ed Taylor. This is a great way for you to take in the Word of God wherever you may be. Look for us on Apple Podcasts, too. Is there an afterlife? What is heaven like? How will we spend our time there? And what does it mean to see God face to face? Questions like these enter our minds as we contemplate what's next after we die. In The Case for Heaven, Lee Strobel investigates the evidence for life after death. You'll read fascinating conversations with respected scholars and experts, including a neuroscientist from Cambridge University who has analyzed a thousand accounts of near-death experiences. You'll receive compelling reasons for why death isn't the end of our existence, but a transition to an exciting world to come. Request a copy of The Case for Heaven today when you give a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. Call 877-30-GRACE or go online to calvaryco.store. And as the costs of being on the radio are growing, we're looking to the Lord to provide for us. If he's leading you to take an active role in the ministry through either a one-time gift or ongoing support, please visit us online at AboundingGraceRadio.com or call 877-30-GRACE. Well, that'll do it for today. Come back tomorrow when Pastor Ed Taylor will pick up where we left off in First Peter here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.